0: Welcome to episode 193 of Control the Controllables. Hope you're well wherever you are in the world and you're looking forward to Wimbledon, the big event of the year. But before that, we have a brilliant episode for you today and as you will know if you have listened to our 192 podcasts, we're always beating on the drum of what a Brilliant, amazing sport tennis is, and not just for the success on the court, for, for the skills, the life skills, how transferable those skills are into the various relationships and phases of
1: your life. Sport is dog eat dog, like very few people make it, and business is the same, you know, very, very few people make it. And I think that's where the tennis made such a difference because, you know, let's, you, you have to be a little bit unique to want to do six hours a day to go in the gym and then to actually go in the gym two hours later and, and kill yourself again in the gym and all those sort of things. And business is the same. And, you, you know, maybe the people that were also founding coffee businesses didn't have that sort of experience of, of sort of the brutal work that you have to put in to be a professional athlete.
0: And what gives me even bigger pride is this is a former pupil of mine you know somebody who I was fortunate enough to work with from from a young age he was a brilliant tennis player he didn't quite know how good he was and he, he had a fantastic tennis playing career up to the mere age of 20 years old and then he burnt out you know many of us know that feeling and he took a little bit of time he reset himself and now here he is age 29. He set up Triple Two Coffee. He is one Entrepreneur of the Year for under 30s. He is someone now, Triple Two Coffee has now been sold to the Cooks Coffee Company. And they're sitting with 125 different coffee shops and food stores all the way around the world. And Dave puts this down to his tennis journey, to what he learned. And the positives, the negatives... And the fact that he's been able to turn those around into building this amazing brand and this fantastic life for himself. It is such an important story, guys. It's a one that will leave you inspired. It's a one that will leave you feeling like your challenges are normalized. And I hope you enjoy it. So pass you over to Dave Hodgetts. So Dave Hodgetts, a big welcome to Control the Controllables. How are you doing?
1: I'm very good, Dan. How are you?
0: i'm good it's it what a what a pleasure to have a an ex student of mine and and dave i think you know the starting point for me uh, i one of the last times i saw you i think you were age 19 or 20 back in 2014 sort of period and the word i would use is i saw a burnt out tennis player i saw uh, a tennis player that yeah it'd been through the trials and tribulations that i think a lot of people listening to this podcast will be able to associate with you know the 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 feeling like you've been in a boxing match with mike tyson for 12 rounds you know and and just weren't weren't really in that headspace to it looked like at that point to to move your life forward in, in the right right way and now we fast forward 8 9 years you know you you have been the entrepreneur of the year under 30 under thirties in the hospitality industry, you know, as well as many other awards, you've had massive success with triple two coffee. You're now part of the cook's coffee company that, that owns 125 coffee shops and food stores worldwide. You know, you've had incredible success. I'm certainly very proud of you. What's changed in such a short period of time.
1: Um, it's a good question. Um, I think that my perspective on life has changed quite a bit over the last few years. So sort of like when I, I mean, you, you're totally right. When I stopped playing tennis sort of 19, 20 years of age, I, I, I'd lost love. I, I'd fallen out of love of, of the whole process of being a tennis player. There were a few things that happened in my life that, that changed my perspective on things. And, and just sort of like going back to when I was a tennis player, I went home schooled at quite an early age when I was 13, 14. So tennis was everything to me. I, I basically committed my life to try and be a professional tennis player. So for me, tennis wasn't like five or six hours a day. It was 24 hours a day. And, you know, when I was doing that day in, day out, um, I think the pressure basically got got too much for me at the time and then uh, I had a really bad injury and then during that period I sort of like found things outside of tennis that I started to sort of like really enjoy and really like um, and that's sort of where you know everything came to a head with my tennis and and I moved on to other things so yeah sort of like fast forward I, I started a coffee company um, sort of six seven years ago and sort of my mindset with tennis transferred over to business. So my my goal was to be the best person I could possibly be in business. I think sport and business are quite transferable skills. So sort of like the first year or two, we opened the shop, um, and it was like seven days a week, open till close, open till close to build to build this brand. Um, and then I decided to franchise the business, um, and we we franchised five, six years ago, and the demand was sort of unprecedented to what we, we thought it would be. Yeah, so I went on a rollout across the UK, opened around 25, 30 stores over a four, five, six-year period. And yeah, fortunate enough that we sold the business in 2020. And um, yeah, a lot of things have changed for me over that period. So it's all and, been and, when, good. and
0: when you said the things that helped you or 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 maybe forced you to change perspective what were they
1: well I think again with you know there there are loads of amazing things that happened with with my tennis and a lot of good memories that I have with tennis and you know a lot of things I wouldn't have changed but I mean there was an event that I a very very specific thing I was in a, a franchise that's what I do now I was in a futures um uh up in Liverpool I'd done like a a three or four month fitness block with my fitness trainer. And I put on about a stone in muscle and you actually watched me play the week before against Johnny O'Mara in the futures. Um, and I was playing, playing really good, but I I played in the, the second round of qualities against Marcus Willis again, played a really, really good game. And then I had Neil Skupsky in the last round of qualities. And I remember it really well everyone that I was training with um, had lost the previous day, you know, three or four of them. And they all needed a a lift back from Liverpool back to London. And for me, this match was a really important match and I was trying to be focused on it. But I just remember now playing the match and all of these people that were supposed to be my friends and, and wanted me to win, they were desperate for me to lose so that they could get a lift back. And, that that was one of the triggers for me actually that that made me sort of fall out of love of playing because I, I just sort of thought like, is it is it worth it? And then and then what happened very, very soon after that is I got a really bad shoulder injury. And and during that period, I met the person that's now my wife. And she just basically brought a a different perspective to things and um you know i realized there was more things to life than tennis whereas i think before that i'd been very much that tennis was absolutely everything and the only thing that mattered um and i think when you know different things started to open up for me i realized that you know there was a you know more to life than just to just hitting a tennis ball basically
0: and i think the story that you tell it's a very common story you know and I've seen it I've been there it's very it's not too dissimilar to my tennis story you know and the the things that I I went through as a player and the the emotions I experienced as a player and at times the the hatred for the sport that I had the the burnout that I had um you know and I think any like I said tennis players listening will will really resonate with it you know so now that you've used that and we, we'll get into the bits that a transferable because I, because I'm also a quite a big believer that adversity makes us and and we're lucky to have those adverse experiences. You know that's yeah. actually those those are actually the bits that build the calluses, the the yeah, tough sure. bits in our in our mentality that that then go on. You know the competitive spirit that you've got and and then and then you add then the, the extra layers it's actually tennis as being really at the heart the vehicle that's taken you through into into other areas of your life that you've been able to excel in you know and 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 that's a whole other conversation that, that I'd like us to jump into because that's not educated anywhere near enough as people start out on this journey you know but what what would you do different? And 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 the starting point for that is I, I have to pick up on you also said about you you leaving school doing online learning from an age of 13. It wasn't five, six hours a day, it was twenty-four-seven a day. Yeah. And for and for a mind that let's be honest at thirteen isn't isn't advanced, it isn't mature, it it doesn't have the complexities of, of an adult mind. That is a hell yeah. of a lot. For, for teenagers to, to put up with and to, and, and to feel, you know, yet many of us are doing it and, and even more so nowadays than than even when you were playing and certainly when I was playing. So if you were to go back to that period, what is it that you would do different knowing what you now know now?
1: Probably quite a few things, but um, I have far less emphasis on the result. You know, I, I think the thing that's frustrating is, If there was an adult mindset, and I'm 29 now, so I could still be at the age where I was able to play, but with an adult mindset, um, I understand now what the top coaches were sort of telling me, um, that results aren't the end of the world. You know, I would be, you know, traveling around under-14s, tennis Europe, under-16s, tennis Europe, trying to get my ranking highly so that the LTA pick me for a squad or whatever it might be. But ultimately, for one, it actually just made me perform worse because, again, because all I had was, was tennis that I was focused on, I put so much pressure on myself in those situations that I was performing at 50% of my capability because I had you know, handcuffs around me whilst I was playing tennis. Um, so, again, if I had that attitude of the, the results are not the most important thing and it's all about the performance, you used to say it all the time. But, but it wasn't that I didn't believe it, but it's almost like there was the other side pulling me against what was being said, that actually, yeah, I, I agree that performance is important, but I really want to, like, I need to win now. And and I think that was something that that held me back. And, and I think the other thing, again, quite a few things, really, but there was a massive emphasis on if you weren't at a certain level by a certain age, you weren't going to make it. And that was a massive problem, I think, really. And that was actually LTA-driven, more so probably people that went that route. Again, you didn't have that mindset, and I know that, but um, the sort of feedback I had was if you're not at a certain level by 18, 19, you're not going to make it. So if I'm 19 years of age and I'm in a futures and I don't qualify, I I have that attitude that actually I'm at the point where I'm not going to be able to get to the level that that I – I want to get to and that I need to get to, to be able to make a living, to be a professional tennis player. Um, but obviously since then, you know, you see that the people that actually may be the ones that go to, to American uni, the ones that have a more processed mindset, um, you know, at 28, 29, and all people are peaking at 25, 26, 27. Uh, and, and when I was 18, 19, I, I had quite a junior, what a junior mindset, but also I wasn't fully developed really um you know so i might have been less developed than somebody that was the same age as me or more and and it really takes until you're 24 25 for that to sort of level out um so i think it was sort of like the mindset was it's a sprint and it's it's not it's a marathon and that was like you know one thing that i would have done done differently um i mean i can i can talk for an hour about the things that i do differently and and advise on but let me just jump in on,
0: on making it because yeah, yeah. I because we hear a lot about making and 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 if I'm honest, I don't know if it's an only British thing. Yeah, you, you don't hear it as much in Spain. Definitely not. Yeah, and and actually, people downplay making it more in Spain. You know, yeah. we'll have kids at the academy who bloody good players, like really good thirteen year old years old, like kids who, if they went and played tennis Europe's, could win tennis Europe's, but they're like. Oh no why no why would i travel i can play i can play a tournament a tournament 45 minutes away you know and even if i go two hours away and i losing in in the quarterfinals what's the point i'm not like i'm not i'm not going to make it as a tennis player you know i'm you know it's not even it's almost now you could look at that as defeatist but it's my my i look at it a bit differently because i go well have you made it now? I, I don't. You don't need to tell me how much you sold your company for, but I can see by that clock behind you, you've done all right for yourself, you know. So, <laughs> in, in terms of, you know, that perfectly shaved beard, you know, you haven't done that yourself. So <laughs> I, I, I can, I, I can see that. It, but, but you've you obviously have done very well, and and I would argue, well, you yeah. haven't. Nobody's what's made it. What's made it mean, you know? And this is it's it, because yeah. it's not just a tennis thing it's, it's a, it's an ongoing thing in life. Yeah. And, 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 and that's the, that's the 100%. bit for me that I, that I just want to preach, you know, whenever when I've got anybody listening, because, and I've, I've mentioned it many times, but this continuum, you know, life is a continuum. It continues until no longer. And some people believe it then continues after that, but that's, it's, if we have the mindset of just getting better, getting better, getting better, getting better. Getting better. Whereas the final it's it's something about this like it's so final. Like you're saying at 18 and 19, you've got no chance of making it. So it, it it makes it all feel so final and so pressurized and so yeah. stressful that that actually, how can you enjoy that?
1: Hundred percent. I mean, it's definitely a British thing, but it was always, I think, making it for a British player. Well, when I was playing, was probably making a living so getting to the point where you're earning a good you probably top 100, that was always what it was is like top 100 that was like the the phrase top 100 top 100 uh, and you're like like everything you say is is totally true and my perspective again has changed because actually making it for me now is is being happy um if you're not happy in what you're doing yourself or if you're not, you know, engaged in what you're doing or if you're not enjoying what you're doing, then that actually you can never be fully satisfied with yourself. And I've had periods of that as well where like when I when I sort of originally sold Triple Two in 2020, that was the point where I sort of visualized a bit like being a top hundred tennis player, that I would be like jumping up and down, celebrating, you know, yep. the happiest man in the world. But actually I I still felt a little bit you know, like there was there was something missing somewhere, um. But but you're right. Like for me, making it's a continual thing. It's a daily. You 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 want to have goals and you want to improve every single day as a person, and then ultimately you'll look back and be proud of the person that you were. Totally agree with that. So my view on it would have changed now. Um,
0: performance versus results, because I think that's, I think that's a, an interesting topic because like you say, it's, we, we are all of the mindset that we want to win. Right. And, and yep. that's, that's it, almost in anything that we, that we do. And certainly the, the strong competitors within us. Now uh, there's a, I, I'm a bigger believer as well of this kind of winning long-term and thinking, you know, bigger picture and you will, you will win long-term if you get your processes right. How have you managed to implement that from a business standpoint? Because I guess your, your win, your top 100 in the world was getting the business to a point where you could then sell it, you know, and, yep. and, and cash out per se. How, how did How were you able to get that balance right and not become so obsessed with the winning bit that you were able to still focus you and your team on the performance
1: side of things? I think that what one thing as well, I I agree, like every sportsman wants to win. I'm not saying that you you don't want to win, if you know what I mean, but it's the way that you actually get to that point. So with with Triple Two, that you're you're right, my my goal was to, to have the best coffee brand in the country. So, you know, the there was like a, a very goal, you know, focused um sort of end goal there. Um uh, business has slight differences, but there's also loads of similarities. So I, I think with what, what I did with Triple Two, um, I mean, my view was very clear. I wanted to do sort of speciality quality coffee. So it was better than Costa, Cafe Nero, Starbucks. It was very, you know, I spent days, weeks sourcing the right type of coffee. Again, with, the, you know, with what we do, like the food and the branding was at a really premium level. So I wanted to feel comfortable when we opened our first store that our product was better than what the competition had out there. And and the coffee is factually better quality coffee. So before we started, there was already the sort of like confidence that, you know, what I'm actually looking to sell, you know, I'm not bullshitting it, basically. It actually is better than what's out there. So it was quite easy for me to sort of, Sell it to my team and sell it to the people that we've hired over the, over the years. That what they're a part of with Triple Two is better than what they could be a part of with other coffee brands. So I think like you know, really, it 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 wasn't too too difficult if that makes sense because a lot of the work was in the pre planning. It was all about getting the best proposition out there, um, and then and then the the transferables is you have to work bloody hard to make something work. Like I worked for free for 18 months. I took out loans. I did all those sort of things. I took the risks that you sort of often need to make something succeed. And I actually think that, that making triple two work was probably harder than when I was doing my tennis or it was equally, let's say, it was brutal. Um, but the similarities as well, is like sport is dog eat dog, like very few people make it and business is the same, you know, very, very few people make it. And I think that's where the tennis made such a difference because, you know, let's, you, you have to be a little bit um, unique to really? to do six hours a day to go in the gym and then to actually go in the gym two hours later and, and kill yourself again in the gym and all those sort of things. And business is the same. And you, you know, maybe the people that were also founding coffee businesses didn't have that sort of experience of, of sort of the brutal work that you have to put in to be a professional athlete. So that's where I think I, I had like a step above maybe other, a lot of other people starting businesses is they came from a background where, you know, they went to school all day, you know, they did their homework and, and there's nothing wrong with that. And they did their uni, they did that whole course and I came from a totally different background on that, you know. You work with I John Hicks. I feel like amazing, yeah.
0: John Hicks will set anybody up to set a business up.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He used to tell me stories all the time of people he coached that were sort of like business entrepreneurs now. Um, but no, I mean, I was pretty lucky to have John Hicks coach me. That's for sure. I mean, he was, uh, yeah. Is he doing all right? Is he all good?
0: He's good. He, he was on the podcast.
1: I've I did I did watch that one it was yeah, a couple so, of years ago so i'm just checking yeah. up that he's okay he's he's good
0: john but yeah that was that was we'll have to get him back on at, at some point but yeah, I, yeah. For, for me that when i was when i was looking through all all of the information on on the business i came across the company ethos and and honestly it could have been the ethos of developing a world class doubles team Oh, or or a, a world-class team around a top singles player as well you know and and that's when we talk about transferability you know and i'll just go through them and i'd love to get your thoughts afterwards and then maybe where you got these from and how you brought this together but you know high yeah. high high standards you know ultimately you know the the value of excellence you know driving excellence on a, on a day-to-day business um business first you know and that's again something I talk to the doubles guys Lloyd and Harry you know every single day it's you know they've got to ultimately put their their job their business first in in everything that they everything that they do staying curious you know constantly you know where where is the the world of tennis going you know what how, what are other people doing what what's the 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 new patterns the way of staying ahead of the game the way of looking after their bodies it's all all very very similar you know creative collaboration you know the same within the team you know nothing nothing stands still for, forever and then my my favorite which is which is basically control the controllables in a nutshell which is which is taking responsibility you know, and anyone that, that is that has success in anything. And these are things that I'm preaching on a on a day-to-day sure. basis, you know, with a, with one of the top doubles teams in the world, with the team at the academy. You know, so talk us talk us through them and, and how you bring those to life.
1: I, I just basically copied it from what you used to say to me. Um <laughs> hey,
0: there must be a percentage for soto of tennis in this somewhere.
1: Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I think you should be looking at that for sure. I I think it it sort of like goes back to you'll you'll never be happy unless you're trying to be the best that you can be, and you know that's sort of like one of the main things is you've got to be prepared to to push yourself to the limit of what you can be if you want to succeed in anything you do. Um, So I think like the ethos that we tried to to sort of create really was you know one that people, you know, want to, want to and need to try and be the best version of themselves. Um, And like stuff like staying curious, you know, you should, in business, you need to be constantly, I mean, to be fair, doubles, tennis, and that's all the same. You need to be constantly innovating and improving, you know? So for me, it's, you know, constantly innovating different drinks, different food, maybe different marketing plans to get different people through the door, innovating on properties. So, um we've started opening in in like residential development so when we started we used to open from like seven till five and we were very much coffee based but the last two stores we've opened we open till 10 at night and we turn into a bar in the evenings and it's it's all residential so people that work from home go there obviously the the drinks people don't have to drive because they can walk to and throw their from their apartments or, or houses so we've sort of innovated and, and stayed curious to the, to the market and the industry. And again, like tennis, like you said, is the same. You you should be constantly looking to innovate the way that you, you see things and that you play and that you communicate. Um, I think they're very much the same. So yeah, that's sort of like where it came from. And also, you know, if you think of, if you look at the two, you know, tennis, if you want to be the best out, of, out there, you've got to be better than Djokovic, let's say. In, in the industry I'm in, if you want to be the best, you've got to be better than, than Costa or Starbucks or Pratt. You know, you're talking pretty big players with pretty huge budgets behind them. So you have to be really nimble and thinking of different things and different ways to, to how you can sort of like, uh, you know, get a level above what these guys do. Um, and where like one of the things that we can do is because they're so big, it takes them so long to innovate whereas we can make decisions, you know, I can make a decision tonight and I can change the way that we, we manage our business, but yeah, it's ever evolving.
0: And how do you, because it's one thing you're, you're an athlete, you've come from a a very strong tennis background, you know, for, for for you listening, Dave was one hell of a tennis player, you know, and he's been very humble in in that, but he, he, he really was. And, got 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 to got to a very high level in terms of how how, how he played how he played the game but not all of your employees are so so it's one thing for you to have this this vision this work ethic this is the way it needs to be we've got to drive standards we've got to you know we've got to put it in guys you've got to be curious the whole time the reality of that is some people or most people that are probably working to put a few pennies in the bank to put some food on the table to look after their kids or to do. So how are you, how are you able, how have you been able to, and what are some of the big challenges that you've had in terms of managing people and bringing that through into your culture?
1: So, yeah, I mean, that's a really good point. And, and when I say that you want to be the best that you can be, there's a, there's a limit in terms of, it is ultimately in your control. So it's, it's only I can control what, what I do, but I can only tell you, a certain, you know, a certain amount of information. You've got to want to actually do it yourself. Um, so one of the, the sort of best bits of advice someone gave me in business was if your team can be doing 80% of the maximum, you know 80% and, and working at that level, then you've done well in your job and what i mean by that is um i used to have the mindset that everybody when i started you know people should be you know why aren't they working at the intensity that i have or 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 care as much or whatever and when i got given that input and matured a little bit my perspective again changed it was actually if i can get 80% out of these people then and 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 these 20 people around me are doing 80% at their capacity then actually I'll be moving in a positive direction every day and, and so will they because there's the reality that not everybody wants to be a really successful entrepreneur. Not everyone wants to be the vulnerable tennis player. Some people are happy to just put food on their table but everybody wants to do a good job and feel like they're adding value. So again, it, I, I think it's I, I've adapted a much more sort of balanced approach over the time. Um, and the other thing is Tennis again, the same thing with coaching. You, you have to read the personality. So, with me, there are one or two people that sort of go all the way with me, and, and you know, I'll be doing other businesses with them. And they work ridiculously hard, they're very, very sort of like, um, that they're, they're desperate to succeed in whatever they do. And the way that you communicate and deal with those people is a lot different to, to perhaps other people. So it's sort of adapting a different personality depending on the person as well.
0: And and you you, you mentioned there about influencers in in your life. You are only twenty nine years old. You know, the things things have happened very fast. And you said you said to me off air, you wish that you'd known the impact that coaches and i'm sure teachers you know there's you know it's not just coaches there's coaches there's teachers there's many influential people in people's lives how how much of a bigger impact they've had on your life almost than they had on your tennis and and no. it, it's it's something that again i think sometimes goes goes unnoticed you know we think of sometimes people just think of tennis coaches about sorting forehands and backhands out but talk no. talk to me a little bit more about that statement
1: that you made Obviously, you know you, you pay coaches to do their job, or you know there's there's an hourly rate, or you you'll have traveling coaches that travel with you, and, and sort of like we we discussed a little bit, you can look at it as are they giving you value for the forehands or the backhands that you're you know you're being you're being taught, but there's such a bigger influence from from tennis coaches really. I mean, I work with John Hicks, I work with Rob. Who I think you've had him on your podcast, the traveling, traveling coach. Not yet, um, no. But Rob Rob Smith, not? Sorry, but
0: Rob Smith's amazing.
1: Though. Rob, Rob Smith, yeah. Um, and and actually, that's probably one of the things that I sort of semi-regret that I I sort of moved on at a time that I was working with him, and and, and I'd improved so much working with him, really. Um, and then obviously the time that I had with you in in Soto and before then as well, because we you know obviously i was with you in edgebaston and spent a lot of time you know i mean years really but the influence that that sort of the three of you you know probably mainly mainly yourself i spent most time with you but the three of you had on me you know not just with tennis was was massive just the the different perspective that i've that, that i feel like i was an adult almost when i was 21 because of some of the the sort of learnings I had with you guys, and, and some of the things that you guys would have said at the time, I wish that I would have sort of like grabbed hold of it now. I'm, I remember in Soto, I was seventeen, and you said, um, you know, make the most of it now because time will just go by so quick and you won't realize it. And I remember you saying it, and I just thought like, yeah, good, you know, good one, you know, like good one, old man. <laughs> good, yeah, good one. You know, like you've you've sort of like you're at that point, so you're feeling a bit, you know, a bit a bit older. You're probably like thirty. Um, I was your age, yeah. You were my age, and and it's it's a statement that I literally remember and and take with me all the time um, because it's the most accurate statement probably someone's ever said um, because it's so true. You know how quickly the time goes and how important it is to enjoy the moment. But then again, you know the the whole mindset of you know, controlling what's in your control. Um, you know, being humble, being sort of aware of the situations that are around you. Yeah, as I said, it's probably difficult to put into words, really. But but the the influence that good coaches have on you is, you know, I, I think the most influential people I had sort of growing up, really outside of my family, were the people that I've just mentioned. Um, and now, when I sort of like when I think of sport. Probably the only person that I would be, you know, desperate to see live or whatever would be Andy Murray. Um, And actually my family as well. Personally, he's the best athlete that's been alive, you know, since I've been alive uh, in Britain. Um, And, you know, I just find him so inspiring. And, And that's sort of like the influence that tennis and people's mindsets can have on you. So... Yeah, I mean, tennis has got massive influence, but there's also loads of things that I I didn't ultimately, you know, I, I I wish would have would have been different, and I didn't particularly like. But yeah,
0: and what are some of those things?
1: Well, I think if I would have stayed at school, yeah, then I would have had a, and I I don't want to be like sort of say the wrong thing necessarily, but I would have had friends that would have had again perspectives, a good word. They they would have. You know they would have been studying, they would have been playing their football or or whatever they do, and my my dialogue with them would have been different, and it would have been. I, I feel like look, tennis players there's there's all the good, but but we are ultimately in a individual sport, so we can be quite selfish, um, and the friends that I thought I had um weren't necessarily friends, and it goes back to what I said at the start, where yeah. you know basically I was I was playing a match and realized these people don't even want me to win this match. They they want me to lose so they can get a lift back. And, and, you know, I've been on trips to, you know, Turkey, where I'm playing against a Turkish player, and and all the Turkish people are cheering the double fault I hit. And and when I win a point, the British players literally, you can tell they would have preferred the Turkish guy to win. And that mindset, I think, is just so poisonous in in the business. I do not get it but my friends were those people. Whereas if I'd have had, you know, friends that would have been, you know, outside the tennis world, I could have had a different sort of dialogue with them, you know, and I think that would have made a big difference to me. Um, So, you know, I would have changed that. And I think that the British culture of, uh, and maybe it's changed now, but it it definitely was British players wanted British players to lose. Um, And then you go into a European country, especially Eastern Europe, and and they're like throwing rocks at you to make sure that the other guy wins. So I think like you know things like that I would have changed. Probably would be the two two main, probably the main one really.
0: I think you hit on a really good point there, and it's it. It's, I'm gonna go dark for a minute, and and I'm gonna ask you about maybe your darkest moment because I think I think most I think most of us in in the tennis world. I've had those moments. I certainly, I had one. I had one in Rome a couple of days ago when when the boys were 9-5 up in the tie break and missed a couple of volleys on top of the net and lost 11-9 to TFO McDonald. And it, It's the intensity, even now at 43 years old, the intensity, the pain of, like, I'm away from my family. You know, my kids are crying when they go to bed because I'm not there and I'm here and that's happened and oh my goodness, if it had only won that, then the money that they would have earned and the points that they would have earned and the ranking that they would have earned and it all would have felt like it was, it, it, it seemed right and possible. And and, w- and when you're dealing with those things as a youngster, it's really hard yeah. to, to to know what to do with those emotions. And, and like you are saying, I think you bring up a really, really interesting point. When people are looking at the sport and, and in this instance tennis as their everything. It's their friendships, it's their first kiss, it's their counselor, it's it, it's all of the roles. And it becomes too intense. And uh, so so then so then yeah. expectations rise and what it seems like happened to you is again what would have happened to to many of people before you after you there's then this realization that actually they're not really my true friends and and yeah. actually it, it, they, and, and they would have been in some ways but self we're selfish beings at the end of the day and and we're in a very selfish sport you know it's an individualized sport i think coaches think quite selfishly, parents do, players do. It, it, it's it got the makings of a lot lot of toxicity, you know, where, whereas, yeah. you know, yeah, the, the, team teamwork doesn't always come into it. And that's what I love about team events and team events from a young age. And we should have team events all the way through, but it, it can easily take us into some dark places. So I guess the, the plea yeah. to people listening is keep other things in your life, <laughs> you know, keep yeah. other sports, keep, you know, school as long as you can, Keep other friendships, don't don't bring everything into it, your whole world into into tennis. But if you can look back and share with us what were some of the darkest moments you went to and, and and how dark did it get?
1: Um some things I experienced at the back end of me playing was that I actually had a few panic attacks on the court. Um so and and it was actually in the it was at a period that i was at the back end really when i was actually starting to not actually i was playing some pretty good stuff um and there were you know i would go onto the court and um literally think i'm having a heart attack on the court um and there were there were points where i mean i didn't know what it was until i've aged a little bit i I genuinely had to stop but obviously my opponent was thinking that you know you've got 20 seconds like serve oh, yeah. and I'm there thinking like mate I'm, I'm I think I'm going to collapse on this court um yeah. and I would um and, and again it comes down to the the pressure that that I probably put on myself and only now do I realize what was going on almost um you know I I was in a pretty bad place with how I started to suffer from, from stuff like that on the court, which was, which was not ideal. I mean, I, I think that tennis, there is, not with everybody, but you have to be a little bit obsessed to be a tennis player and a little bit addicted to, to doing what you do. You know, I, I would say I was addicted to playing tennis, to being the best tennis player that I could be, maybe, you know, obsessed or whatever, you know you get up every day as i said to do what you do every single day is quite extreme and for me you know i could easily get addicted in a good or a bad way um, and i think that happened with business as well like my focus on triple two and what i'm trying to say is if you're focused in the right things it can be the best friend that you have and a really good skill but when i stopped playing tennis, I didn't really know what I wanted to do and I felt pretty lost. I hadn't got the A-levels. I didn't want to go to college. And and I'd say that the sort of like six month period after I stopped playing tennis was the darkest period of my life, really. Um, it was, it was pretty horrific. I actually phoned you um, when I was in London and I'd stopped playing and that was probably the darkest place that I'd ever been in. And you might not remember me phoning you. Um, and I think like the point I'm trying to say, I'm, I'm actually like struggling to hold it in a little bit talking about it. But, you know, when I go on about the influence of people in that moment, the t- and it was a horrific moment for me. And as I said, I won't go into it really, I actually picked up the phone, called you for input and to try and like help in that situation. And it was 10 years ago. So you won't remember, but I remember. I do. Um,
0: I do remember. How do we stop this? Like within the industry, because it's, and it's, I had Pat Cash on, you know, Wimbledon champion. Yeah. And he talked about the same thing and it was it was this whole bit that we hold our own self esteem up against our results and up against The perception of how we're doing and how what people think of us, and you know, we're we're putting our whole life on 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 that. And you know, I I have a son that plays tennis at age twelve, and you know, he comes back and he the things he's saying, you know, uh, it's it's like, oh my goodness, no, I don't want you going down this road of saying these things. You know that you're a you're a wonderful kid. Like it's it stop comparing yourself to other people. You know, just. Enjoy what you're doing, you know, and, and 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 I've got a lot of experience and I'm trying to to feed those messages, you know. Same with you know, I'm working at the, the top end of the game now, you know, we're giving these messages, but it's 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 not easy. <laughs> it's it's really yep. not easy, and it and it almost feels like in, in some ways you have you have benefited from Somewhat early recognition of this dark place, yeah. <laughs> like 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 like, like all, almost it, it almost feels that most people seem to go through through this journey, and it's like, well, oh, I'm doing this. This is what I'm doing, and then because I was there as well, you know, and I, I I started gambling when I stopped playing, you know, and I think yeah. it's 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 something that and it took me into it into a dark place for a good period of time. And luckily, with the right support and family around, and uh, an amazing wife, and you know, all of these, I, I I was able to come out and use that energy into into something really productive, which was Soto Tennis Academy, and and yeah. that, in a, in a nutshell, is is a very similar story to yours, you know. Yeah. It's, but in in it's very very similar, and and, <laughs> and 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 I think it's quite a common I think it's quite a common story, and that's why I think it's so good that you you can open up and you can talk about that because. I think there's so many people that can learn learn from it. And it's it, it that that ability to be able to grab a hold of yourself and ultimately control the controllables you, yourself. 100%. Right. This is it's it's about me, it's about what I'm trying to do here yeah. and 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 what what are those bits in my control. Let's stop worrying about all the bits that are out of my control, which tend to be the which tend to be the things that throw us into those dark places.
1: I think I agree. And and also I think with with me or with with probably all tennis players it is it's very black and white like success or failure it's not like a you know like you said like a sort of like a, a steady curve where we're just looking to sort of improve at whatever we're looking to do every day when i finished playing tennis i literally thought i was the biggest failure i thought i'd let my you know the, the, all the generic stuff i'd let my parents down you know, my, my parents were very, very supportive and backed me massively with, amazing. with my tennis. They were amazing. Um, and, and, you know, they, they were amazing. And, and, and I sort of go, okay, well, I've, I've let my parents down. I've let all these people down. These are the, these are the thoughts that I think were probably pretty generic with a lot of people. Um, and then I was like, well, I'm a failure. I haven't achieved what I wanted to achieve. Um, and and then I sort of you know you get yourself into that rut and then and then I look at it and go well what am I going to do next in my life because yesterday I was trying to be a tennis player to win Wimbledon you, know, the you lose the
0: label you you lose the label
1: yep. of yep you are. lose that you, yeah and identity massively and and then that's obviously where the, the the downward slope starts and also I think because it's so black and white the the downward slope is pretty drastic I mean for me it was anyway it wasn't like this guy is struggling a bit. It was like, where's David? Like the guy, I mean, I didn't. I, I literally clocked out of tennis for about three or four years when I stopped. I mean, I, I, I didn't want to hear from anyone other than when I spoke to you, but I didn't want to hear from ex-players or I didn't want to know what, what was going on. It was so dramatic, the mind, like the, the whole situation. But then where I was lucky is I had great people around me that helped me out of it. And you know I am determined and and focused, and I use that sort of tennis player or that you know that ambition in me. Uh, And I said, you know what? You know, failure is a terrible word that you shouldn't use. You know, tennis got me to a really good place, and I learned so many things. But now I want to try and be the best person that I can be in in my business venture. And I managed to break that sort of negative spiral by having a new focus. And that was my focus was, okay, I want to set this up and I want to make it really successful. I want to have lots of shops and I want to be, you know, I want to win awards. and I want, you know, to be recognized for that side of, of what I've achieved as well. And and I think that's how I sort of managed to get out of that spiral, but, but where, what you said is right at the start is life goes on every single day. There's not like a, there's a start and an end, but it's not every day, um, and and that's where I need to keep finding new things to be excited about and to keep, you know, um, looking forward to, because like I said, I think that, that I've got a very sort of obsessed attitude and that can be good and it can be bad. So I want to put all my focus into the good things and keep developing. Um, But I think with like tennis players and and getting people out of that, that sort of place, I I don't know what the, the solution is necessarily because you, you can tell people something but. They Have to believe it, and I think the parents are massive. They have to buy into it as well, because you know what parents can be like. Um, and like if oh, all, that they're all mindset amazing, of it. the ones that you coach are all amazing, I'm sure. All amazing. But um, I mean, it's when I look back and think of some of the things that parents do on the side of the court, it's actually it's actually quite comical. Um, <laughs> sort of how serious people take like the under-13, under-14. You know, oh, my God, like the one parent, obviously not named names, dragging his son off the court when he lost a match. It's just embarrassing. But anyway, there's loads of great parents as well. <laughs> but, but I think it's that the mindset of it being a marathon, not a sprint. And, and very much with me, it was like I almost had a, a, an alarm set on when I was like 18. And if I'm not at a certain level at 18, I'm in big tr- trouble. And that's just not true at all. You know, there were probably people that were very similar in standard to me that are still playing at a very, very, very high level. And well, I'm I sure... saw
0: Johnny O'Mara today.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I I remember playing him. It was I think I was falling up in the third set, and he decided to pull out because he didn't want to actually, you know.
0: Uh... <laughs> if you're listening to Johnny, he, he he he's taking the win and right and rightly so. Can I can I ask you, I ask you Dave? Do you do you look back at your tennis? fondly now that you've you've had time to reflect over the last 8 9 years
1: yes yeah i do i mean i when i was sort of 12 13 i had a choice between tennis and football and i don't regret the choice i made at all um and there are obviously things that i would have done differently but i've i i learned to an unbelievable you know, life lessons from playing tennis and things that I've done, you know, I can say that the stuff that's not so good, you know, like everyone can, but, you know, traveling around Europe or whatever the world and doing all those things at at an age where, you know, 99.9% of people aren't doing, I wouldn't have changed. You know, I would have changed some things, but the principle of what I did, I wouldn't have changed.
0: Good. Because that's, that's, that's also important because I think you know we've 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 talked about your journey and we've linked it to mine a little bit as well and you know it, it it doesn't always sound glamorous but it's it's important that we get the realities out there but there's very few people that I speak to that regret it you know and I think you know the 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 upside of of going through it and and like I say sharing and and people learning through it are massive so I'm going to ask you a question that I. I ask. I'm gonna ask you two questions that I ask all of my guests in uh, over the last few episodes, and the first one is, "What's one question that nobody has asked you, but you've always thought that they should have asked you?"
1: I suppose maybe, are you are you happy? I think. I mean, that's a question that my mom and dad might ask me, but the but perhaps isn't probably asked enough, um, potentially. I've got a great question,
0: Dave. So are you happy?
1: (laughs) Yes. Yeah, I am. I think overall, overall I am. There's loads of, you know, we always want to improve and do things differently. You know, there are always things that can be improved in all of our lives. But yeah, there's a lot of good things. I got married last year. We might start a family soon. Who knows? And um, I'm in a pretty happy place, yeah. So it's all good.
0: Good. And if you were to retire tomorrow, what would you want people to say at your retirement party?
1: Um, probably that I was funny, caring. Peter,
0: Cr- Peter Crouch.
1: Peter Crouch, doing the robot. uh I I think really that they that they thought I was a genuinely caring person um that that people were glad that they had me in their life and I was a positive energy um I think that's the main thing you know whether people thought that I was actually somebody that that made a positive difference to them and saw that sort of personality traits in me that those I've got to be honest like the way I think now is more philosophical. I, I don't get me wrong. I want to succeed in business. I want to make money. I want to do all those things. But that ultimately, I I'm not stupid. When it comes to my death day, people will not care about my successes at that degree. It will be what sort of person I was.
0: They're very nice. And and I, as someone who knows you very well, I can safely say that that's exactly what people would say that your retirement day, you know, it's a, it's a long, it's a long way to go, you know, and I, and I think anyone that's listened to you today as well, you know, it really, I think you've been really inspirational, you know, with the, the, your story, the way you've shared it so openly, you know, and, and I certainly on behalf of everyone that listens to this podcast, massively. Thank you for that, Dave. Um, So what, what's next? What's next? What's next for you? Uh, for triple two, what's you know where where does this all go? You know where where do you take it? Because you're a young pup, you're a young pup that's already achieved so much, so so much to look ahead to. So what's next for you?
1: So again, I'm not sure if I should be saying this, but I'm I'm hoping. Obviously, I've done the process with with triple two and cuts, so we've we've listed in the UK. It's all gone really well but but I'm really looking to move on and do my new next thing. So I'm looking to probably um, move on from triple two, um, hand over the reins to some new person or whatever. Um, and I I want to open a few new businesses. I want to do a new coffee brand. Um, I'd like to use my tennis um, background and do something in sports or gyms potentially. Uh, and then, you know, maybe we can link up. I, I want to have like a, a sort of a podcast side of things and, and stuff as well. So exactly. I've sort of got like a relatively clear plan from a from a business perspective what I want to do.
0: Dave, we need we need a rival. I'm sick of winning the bloody sports podcast of the year. I can't, I can't podcast the year
1: There's a number of reasons I can't compete, but I couldn't get in touch with the people that you get in touch with for one. So Definitely not. Um, and then, from a family perspective, like I said, we I'm married now. We'll be starting a family soon as well, so life will change. Um,
0: Dave, brilliant. And you, you know what comes next. You know, we can't we can't let you go without the famous quick fire round. So, are you ready for control the controllables? Quick fire round. Go for it. Tea or coffee? Coffee. Singles or doubles? Singles serve or return? Serve Roger or Rafa? Roger, underarm serve or not? Yes, neck cord or not? Yep, Serena or
1: Venus? Serena,
0: a medical timeout or not?
1: Depends who's taking them because some of them are definitely a bit dodgy. So I'll say no.
0: What does control the controllables mean to you?
1: Um, to just be in control of what you can control. So to to focus on your yourself and not to focus on things that are not you know that you're not responsible for.
0: And what's one rule change that you would
1: have in tennis? Um, for the tiebreak at six all to be to ten. Controversial.
0: And who should our next guest be on Control the Controllables?
1: I don't know. I mean, I, I mentioned Rob Smith. I mean, he to me, he's a pretty, you know, inspiring in what he does. So I think he would be pretty good.
0: Rob Smith is on the list. Let's get him on there. Dave Hodges, you've been a you've been a pleasure, mate. And on, from a from a personal side, it's it's amazing. I'm I'm incredibly proud of of you and what you've achieved, but not about what you've achieved about, about who you are becoming, who who you, who you have become over the last few years, you know, how you've taken all of those lessons from this, this tennis journey, you know, whichever way we look at it, look at it, it's, it's never easy. You know, nobody has an easy, easy journey, but I, I also strongly believe that the investment is worth it, you know, and you are a testament oh. to that, the, the return on that by throwing your heart and soul into it you know, when you get on on the other side, you know, you see what a fine young gentleman you've become and someone that's that's doing some great things. So the very best of luck and, and a big, big thank you for, for sharing so openly. No
1: problem. Thanks for having me, Dan.
0: Well, he's grown up, hasn't he? He's done he's done all right for himself as as old Dave.
2: That's what I said to you, wasn't it? He's not the seventeen year old that I remember anymore. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and it, it is. It's just it's so good. And Dave, if you're listening, a big well done. We're very, like proud tennis parents over here <laughs> in Spain, and, and everyone at the academy is as well. Not just for what he's achieved, but I think the way that he articulated it, you know, and it was quite it was quite moving actually listening to it and and just hearing that all of all of these experiences. I say it a lot. There's almost there's no such thing as a as a bad experience. Or a good experience. They're just experiences, because they all just filter into what I guess becomes our perspective, our personality, our character, and and he's used his challenging experiences to turn them around into into being a, obviously a brilliant boss and a brilliant entrepreneur who's who's going on and and doing doing great things in the world. So it's it's really really lovely to see. We've talked
2: about it quite a lot, don't we? Those transferable skills from tennis, and he's just given this brilliant example of how he's used those. And he's such an inspiring example. I think, like listening to him, I was like, "Wow, the boy's done really well." <laughs> you know, just someone that has come out, finished their tennis playing days, just does not know what to do. Like he said, he, he hadn't, he hadn't gone to college, and I remember that feeling well myself. We talked about it after the pack cash. Um, Episode And and you mentioned that speaking to Dave as well, how he felt, you know, winning Wimbledon and still felt his whole identity was wrapped up in tennis and winning and losing matches. And I talked about how I felt when I came out of college and stopped playing tennis. I was like, well, who am I now? You know, if I'm not Vicky the tennis player, like what am I, who am I? And I knew what I wanted to do. And I still felt like that. So for me, it was so interesting and inspiring. And I felt when I was driving and listening to it, it's so important that this is normalised and that people are hearing these stories because every year there's going to be players stopping every month, every week, every day. And, you know, how he felt is is exactly how nearly every person feels when they stop playing tennis.
0: Or stop doing anything, I think. And it's it's not just words, it's it's real life. And that's what I loved about it. And I guess as as you go through this and you get a bit older and you're in an industry and you know obviously we run a tennis academy so we're speaking to parents and players and you know all the time but to be able to see it actually happen and and it does, you know, we could probably get a hundred Dave Hodgett's on on the podcast, you know, and, and it doesn't mean that then success is that selling selling your business. I think I think what what the real success here is is that the tennis has set him up exactly like you say and 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 i think the other thing that you're touching on there vicky is is identity and i think it's massive and it's something i reflect on you know i did i not get out of tennis because i didn't want to stop being dan the tennis man you know maybe i do, i don't i don't know You know, I always I was
2: thinking the same thing. How many people keep going? Like, don't make the decision to stop, even though it might be the right time. But
0: within the industry as well. So I I think the quite typical route, and we're getting into a much bigger subject (laughs) here, but there's a lot of NAf tennis coaches out there. If I've insulted you, well, that means you know you're naff. So do something about it. But because they don't have the passion and, and they've actually lost their love of the sport. You know, they've burnt themselves out. You know, and that's what we're talking about here. Dave was burnt out. You know, he he wanted to have a team around him. And he realized, and I thought it was really telling how he said that, the story of him playing in Liverpool. And he realized that who he thought were his mates weren't his mates. And maybe they were, but they were just being lads and they just wanted to get home. So they were cheering against him. And, and and when you get to that point, and you in, in an individual sport like tennis, which is brutal, he, he, he approached a burnout. Now the easy thing for a lot of people to do is just you continue in tennis. You start coaching. The money's okay to start with. It doesn't get much better. <laughs> there's not a there's not really career pathways in tennis, and then you get stuck because you then get a mortgage. You then get married. You then have responsibilities. And, and almost part of me thinks the fact that Dave got into such a dark place got him out of the sport and, and then he was able... To then use the skills in 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 something else, which I think there's something interesting in that. And and like I say, I, I certainly was in some dark places about tennis, you know. And I, I absolutely love tennis now. My my joy of love of tennis now was completely different to when I was younger. But I think a lot of people don't ever really get out of that. And the point I'm making. And it's a bit harsh saying "naf coaches," because but there's naf people in all fields. Is those coaches are passing on that negative energy and that negative feeling they have about the sport, and and I just think it's it's amazing what Dave's done with it.
2: Well, he said he had that edge, didn't he, over his competitors? Which and you know, you know, we we were both at college in America. Student athletes in America um, are handpicked by the biggest companies. You know, they really see and appreciate and value athletes and how hard they have to work in their sport and balancing school university and all the things he was talking about you know the being able to put in the long hours the hard work the brutal he called it brutal didn't he the brutal hours brutal hard work to get his business off the ground and um Resilience was another word that came up. All these things that you know, kids don't even realize that they're learning and developing as they're playing tennis, playing any sport, really. Um, yeah, and he 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 talked about that edge that set him apart for the rest, of which I thought was really interesting. But going back, sorry, back to when he stopped. I know we we're really hammering this point home. It was the him saying he felt like a failure that made me really oh hit a, uh, hit something listening to it in terms of how many people feeling feeling that and stopping playing and he said he felt like he didn't reach his goals his potential you feel like you're letting your parents down coaches whoever so many people that is a really really strong feeling that so many people feel I mean just just think of you know all the parents at our academy all the players at our academy and the sacrifices that the families are making the players are are making financial emotional everything um and then to get to 18, 19, 20, and just say, actually, I'm not gonna play anymore. There is a massive kind of burden on players' shoulders. And it was, it's so nice to hear Dave's story to see. well, actually it wasn't, you know, all these things you think they've wasted your money, wasted your parents' time, all these kind of things. Actually, no, you haven't. Look what he's gone on to achieve and has and t- used all these skills. Look at what on he's gone to achieve. I think it's really a really important and inspiring story for players of a similar age or any age really to hear.
0: It's an investment, yes, and and that's and that's the message we've got to get across. the The, the problem is you try and get that across. And a parent and player, so, well, not me. That's not me. I'm the superstar. I'm gonna, you know, I'm the anomaly that's gonna go on and win, win, women. And I don't give me that negative energy. It can, it can be viewed as ne- as negative, but that's what it is. It's an investment. It's it's an investment in your future, and it's it's an incredible sport. We've got stories like Dave's that show that. There's many, many, many. We call it the success equation everyone is successful if you throw yourself at something you get in the right environments learn you learn fast fail learn you know and and you and you take that with you and and that is the bit that we're talking about the normalization in our sport of of the end game it's not it's not the end of the world it's that continuum that we've been talking about and how do we help tennis players and it'll be the same in other sports transition into into something else and understand that's a part of their journey and understand that it's all success it doesn't it doesn't have to be deemed deemed as failure because failure affects our self esteem self confidence and so many other things and that's the bit that sends so many people into a dark place it's a serious thing and well, it's, it's
2: it's it's players understanding that it is exactly right it is part of the journey it's not, oh, it's all ended now. What am I going to do? What on earth am I going to do? It, that is part of the process, part of the journey. You say to the kids at the academy all the time, you know, your tennis career is only going to be for a certain amount of time. And then you've got 30, 40, 50 years afterwards. You need to have a plan for what you're going to do after that. And, uh, but yeah, un- understanding that it will come to an end, I think is, is and, and that's okay. And it's <laughs> is, not fine. Is big. Is, um. Did he say if he's still playing?
0: No, I don't don't think I did ask him that. He
2: knows his tennis, though, still. He called... Sorry, Dave, I feel like I've... uh I've robbed you of your French Open predictions, which were bang on. He called Iger and um, Djokovic. So he obviously still, kno- he still knows the game very well. well he, oh, he
0: knows who the favourites were.
2: Well, yeah. He did say they were boring. <laughs> Was that the boring prediction? But he got them right. He got them right. Not all, Only one person on our panel for French Open got it right. Dave, so. Dave's <laughs> the sort of lad,
0: I'm telling you, he's going to be like the over 35 world champion over 40s. <laughs> yeah. You know, he comes out of tennis, falls out of love with it, goes and smashes it in another field and then goes, hey, I've got a bit of money now. What do I do with my, my money? Comes back to Soto Tennis Academy. <laughs> I saw his backhand out and before <laughs> you know it, he's in Turkey winning the over 35 world champs. Um, We could talk forever on this. It's, uh, it's as you can hear, a, a passionate subject of ours, it's behind all of our philosophies at the Soto of Tennis Academy, it's why we set it up, you know, this it's an educational academy, it's not just about the tennis, and we say that in the in the way that absolutely it's about being the best tennis player you can be but it's about understanding all these transferable skills it's very close to our heart so thank you for unlocking the passion dave <laughs> and and we hope you listening at home uh, uh, have the same have the same passion on this subject send us your thoughts and you'll be hearing from us again in a few days because as we said at the start of the show, it's Wimbledon, it's SW19.
2: I almost <laughs> went into the theme tune then. <laughs> do, do, do,
0: do, it's do, do, do. no Sue Barker at the end <laughs> of it. Oh God! Time.
2: Don't gut it. Uh,
0: it's it's <laughs> strawberries and cream. It's pims and lemonade. It's it's it's. As I said on on the last one, it's for me itchy eyes because the the grass <laughs> courts are being cut. But it's got always a brilliant event, and we will be bringing you our panel in the next couple of days to preview. What again, I'm sure is going to be an amazing Grand Slam. So watch out for that one. But until next time, I'm Dan Kiernan and we are Control the Controllables.